0: This is Mass Action Podcast, revolutionary socialist propaganda to save the planet, smash white supremacy, and stop World War III. On this episode of Mass Action Podcast, we talk with Jesus Rodriguez Espinosa editor of the Orinoco Tribune and former Venezuelan diplomat to the United States. But before we get to the interview, here's some words on the vaccine, COVID relief, and donating to the revolution. All right, I wanted to talk about a few things first I want to talk about the vaccine now I don't blame anybody for not trusting Pfizer or Moderna I don't blame anyone for not trusting uh, big farm I don't blame anyone for not trusting uh, the Trump administration I don't blame anyone for not trusting the US government US imperialism uh, the interest of the establishment is one of profit, not of uh healing people or providing people with healthcare. In fact, it's one of the biggest crimes of the modern era that healthcare, the, the many advances we have made are not being used appropriately. The healthcare exists to to uh treat people. Uh medicine, uh human know-how exists to benefit us not to make profits. There's nothing sillier, more ridiculous, and heinous than having a for-profit healthcare system. In fact, there should be uh, global universal healthcare. There's no excuse for there not being, as a matter of fact. Uh, even on an individual basis, uh, having collective healthcare, global healthcare, is really the only, only way you have uh, the best individual healthcare you can possibly have. Uh, the whole thing about the poorest among us, the most vulnerable among us must have access to the same healthcare as everybody else, and that is health, that is saneness, sanity, is totally correct. I'm going to take the vaccine uh, as soon as it's available uh, for myself uh, because I believe that that is the correct thing to do. I do not see any conspiracy. In the development of the vaccines, they've been under development for a year now. In fact, they existed uh, almost before the. they actually the vaccine actually existed before the outbreak happened because of prior scientific developments on prior coronavirus outbreaks, uh, MERS, Middle East Respiratory uh, Syndrome. And I'm not sure if I maybe calling it Middle East is not the Middle Eastern is not the correct thing to do. Um, but. Uh, In regard to MERS, that's where all of the basic building blocks of this new type of messenger RNA vaccine happened. So, again, I'm going to take the vaccine. This is not medical advice. I'm not telling you what to do, but um, I'm taking the vaccine. And in most things, I do think uh, you should follow my advice. Why would I give advice uh, if I didn't think that others should heed uh, the advice that I'm giving. It's based on my experience. It's based on my political, sociological, scientific experiment experiment, experience. All right. The next thing is COVID relief. My goodness. The package that is still before us as I'm speaking right now, I'm, I'm recording this on Sunday, December 20th. In the middle of the day, a package still has not been passed. And it's really... Criminal! That so little relief has been meted out during the the worst economic crisis and the worst medical crisis uh, in a hundred years plus. It's just I'll, let me just pause for effect here. It's just entirely, completely criminal. And the Democrats, the Democrats are just not worth anything. They have the president elect. They control the House. Uh, and they are not the ones fighting. The Republicans are the ones who are effectively getting most of what they want. To the extent that people are fighting and that people are suffering, we're going to get something out of this, crumbs. And of course, like the rest of you, I will accept the crumbs because, you know, like many of you, I I am out of work because uh, in my field there is not much hiring going on. And look... This is another opportunity and we don't always have to go after the Democrats because when we go after the Democrats, we must be conscious that there are more people who are still hoping and wishing that the Democrats will come through for them than are not uh, putting any credence like myself in that in in looking towards the Democrats uh, for salvation. So we always need to be we always need to have some type of consideration of where people are at and how the fact that people are suffering and their hopes still lie in one particular political path. But some of us must wield the sword. Yes, again, we need to we need to be conscious about how we're wielding the sword and who we're swinging it at. But the Democrats, especially at this late period in history, when all of these crises, in fact, what I call the great crises, is coming to a head here in the next decade or two, or honestly, maybe sooner. That the party of power in the United States at the seat of U.S. imperialism must have the sword wielded against them at every opportunity, every opportunity. And the Democratic Party's response to the pandemic uh, their again, their party of power uh, has just been criminal. All of the deaths that unnecessary deaths that have happened in this country, because, again, in countries like China or New Zealand or Vietnam, we could go on a whole list. They have had nowhere near the type of Cuba, Venezuela. They've had nowhere near the type of devastation that we've experienced here. And the fact that this government, Republicans and Democrats, are not giving the appropriate economic relief in order to overcome the pandemic and the economic crisis. It's just it's just really criminal. And listen, even if you believe the Democrats have a little bit of blame, again, they are a party of power and they need to suffer the consequences from their actions. Think about it. How easy would it have been right now for Biden, Pelosi, in team with the mainstream capitalist media and the entire establishment to push for and win a relief package that would have widespread popularity among the masses of people. It would be as easy as the easiest thing you can imagine. No compromise is necessary at this point. And these types of things should not be just cast aside or neglected. We shouldn't go down on our knees and say this is all we can get, uh, especially before the Democratic Party, which is expert. Expert, in times like this, turning on the professional uh, apparatus of, hey, this is all we can do, this is the best we can do, nothing else is more achievable, in service to the capitalist system. They do it time and time and time and time again. The Democrats didn't want to when they could have, and Trump would have been with it, and and a a lot of the Republicans would have been with it. They didn't pass a more robust package. They passed it through the House, but they didn't really, really push for it. They didn't push for it when it was totally possible for it to happen because they really didn't want to do it. They didn't care anyway. Uh, They just wanted to appear like they were for it because it it helped them in the election if nothing got really substantially passed under Trump and he couldn't take responsibility for it. Also, a lot of the Republicans, I guarantee you, were happy not to give Trump the thing either, because despite the fact that a lot of Republicans kowtow, have been kowtowing to Trump, who is the most popular person in their party at this point in history and really has the ability to pull a lot of levers in their party, they don't necessarily like that because he's not trusted, he's not part of them, and he is pushing them sometimes to put the capitalist establishment, which they also serve, uh, no matter how fascistic they appear uh, Uh, in a direction that the capitalist class doesn't want to go. I mean, the capitalist class is very, very happy to have Biden as president and very, very happy with a minimal, maybe not all of them, maybe they want some more relief because they're afraid that if they don't give more relief, the system actually might collapse and people might get angry. But by and large, uh, the ruling class here, the capitalist class, is super happy with Biden. And that should tell us something. I mean, it's not that we can never be happy about what a ruling class is happy about. I mean, many contradictions happen, but it's a very good indication that none of us should necessarily be happy about a Biden election. And if we can just look at the facts, look at the facts, and I'll say one last thing, this is a fact, the Biden, the Biden, the incoming administration is already gearing up to send all of our children back to school during the height of the pandemic. The pandemic's never been worse. And sending our children back to school in unsafe conditions—we can't trust the capitalists to provide safe conditions in, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of classrooms across the country. I mean, that's—they haven't been able to do anything thus far during the pandemic. The chances that they're that they're actually going to would be able to do that doesn't really exist. It's totally a gift of the capitalist class to quote unquote get the economy working. And children and the rest of us, people related to those children, teachers, frontline workers as guinea pigs let me say that again as guinea pigs and look at this closely too democrats all across the country are way are going for the open up the schools campaign here in washington we have a democratic governor jay Inslee. he has totally put out something that people can start going back to school really seriously now working people go through a lot of hardships in this country they shouldn't Again, because they're not passing any relief for us, they could. We could actually have remote learning and have it go well. Now, there are studies, and I haven't looked into them. I mean, Microsoft is for these studies, for example. And Microsoft is not a champion of our kids. They're a champion of testing people who they are meeting out, weeding out on whether or not they're going to be future employees, low, you know, barely paid employees for their, or, you know, uh, sometimes decently paid employees, but employees for them, people who work for them and make them, uh, you know, massive profits, again, therefore reopening the schools. This is a this is like the Biden administration signaling right away that they're not going to give relief to the people, any substantial relief. They're going to try to get things. They're going to force things to get back to normal. And they're hoping because they're Democrats, they're going to be able to do it better than Trump. I'll say it again and end on this. They're hoping because they're Democrats and they're not Trump that they will be able to get away with this scam much better than the Trump administration would, because that is the system right there. The fact that we have not that that the U.S. has done so poorly against the pandemic and there has been no relief that is totally possible in the richest country in the history of the world, it tells you exactly everything you need to know about the system and the fact that everything became about the elections and that was going to make the difference. Well, that is like the, the greatest joke upon the entire population. We don't have to take it. Let's fight back, but let's clearly see. Let's clearly see. And we need this as one of our principal weapons that both parties are subservient to the system. At the end of the day, it's the system that is our problem. Replacing Trump with Biden. Uh, in fact, it could be, you know, we could be facing a much worse situation. Them's just the, those are just the facts, my friends. Okay, up next, a uh, great interview with Jesus Rodriguez Espinosa from Orinoco Tribune and a former uh, diplomat, a Venezuelan diplomat of the United States. All right, well, I lied. I didn't lie, but I forgot. I forgot that I wanted to, it is the holiday season, and just like any other enterprise like this, any other podcast, any other intervention uh, for workers and oppressed people in this country of this nature, uh, it's not free to do this, and we need your support. Oh, we definitely need your support, because the more support we have, the more programs like this can become larger than uh, they otherwise would. It's Just a simple fact of the matter. Uh, I'm a realist, hopefully you a realist too. Uh, as a communist, as a socialist, we want to get rid of money eventually altogether. In order to do that, we need a revolution. We need to construct socialism. But until then, Uh, We have to be very concrete about what it takes to uh, build our propaganda apparatuses, if that's the right way to say it. And that means that we need to do concrete things. And one of the concrete things you can do is if you listen to the podcast, if you read the articles, if you find them of any value, uh, you can support Uh, And this is actually something that we all have. You know, I support things that are that are supportable with 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 with, you know, finances when I can. It's an important thing we can do to have each other's back. So what can you do? Uh, First of all, uh, I'm coming out with John Beecham. I'm coming out with a new book. It's called 2020 Socialism and the Coming Great Crisis. It has a few new articles and a bunch of articles, important articles from this year. You'll be able to purchase that. Uh, in book form very soon on the website, which is mass-action.org. If you become a Patreon, a $5 a month a patron on Patreon, and our address is patreon.com slash massaction. Massaction is all one word. $5 a month. You can also get a copy, a hardbound copy of that book. Um, and you can become a patron for 2 five, ten, 5 10 or more a month. That would be very, very helpful. I would appreciate that. Uh, a lot, a lot, comrades and friends. You can also go to GoFundMe. There is a GoFundMe on. Uh, uh, there is a go, there is a mass action GoFundMe. That is, uh, you go to GoFundMe and you su- and you search support mass action. You can also make a one time contribution. All of your money will be going towards producing the various media that Mass Action produces promoting the struggle, and helping as much as possible to ground us in a practical, material, real understanding of where we're at in the struggle and the steps that need to be taken in order for us to be victorious once and for all over the capitalist class. So again, uh, website is mass-action.org. On Patreon, it's patreon.com slash massaction, and mass-action is all one word, You can also go to GoFundMe and search for support mass action. Uh, You know, if you have the funds, I know these are tough times for all of us. Again, I am also unemployed because there is no work in my field right now. Uh, Schools, uh, schools have have not been reopening, so they are not hiring. Um, But, you know, do what you can. And if you cannot donate, which, you know, to be honest, is desperately needed, urgently needed. Uh, especially in times like this and do whatever you can to share mass action, the podcast, follow it. You know, if you go to SoundCloud, uh, where you get this, where you can get this podcast, but you can also get it on Spotify and, um, other platforms where podcasts are available. Make sure, make sure you, you support or you follow or whatever, uh, is possible based on where you're listening to the podcast. And again, share it, share it wide. This is done solely as a service for the people, in the service of socialism, in service of the future of the planet, and so that we can, as best as possible and as in an an, an organized way as possible, defeat white supremacy, save the planet, and stop World War III. Joining us on Mass Action Podcast is, I I was going to say, our good friend, but my good friend, Jesus Rodriguez Espinosa. Jesus is the editor of Orinoco Tribune. People should really check it out. You can give us a website. Actually, give us a website right after I'm done here, Jesus. And also a former Venezuelan diplomat to the United States, specifically Chicago, my hometown. Jesus, thanks for joining us to talk about Latin America and more. Thank you for inviting me, John. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Well, I hope to keep that streak going. I hope to keep that streak going.
1: (laughs) I hope it continues to be a pleasure to
0: discuss uh, things with me because I know it's a pleasure to discuss things with you, at least from my perspective. So before we we officially started recording this, we were talking about many different things. Uh, I'm personally... And I think people listening in the US would be personally um, interested in how Venezuela is doing with the pandemic. Uh, also, uh, a secondary question, and I can ask it, I guess, maybe after you're done with the first one, um, just to take things in order, is just uh, what does it mean for Venezuela, Bolivia, Latin America, that we are going, looks like we're going to have a new uh, president here, uh everybody's pal uh me and joe biden yes okay 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 let
1: me start with the first question uh i believe that we are uh if, we, if you check the the numbers of COVID contagions deaths and things like that venezuela is at least in the region in the hemisphere venezuela is one of the countries that have the best numbers. I mean, we have right now around 109,000 uh, reported cases, positive cases, uh, but the number of deaths is around 9, 980 something. So the deaths per million inhabitants, which is the best way to see how well a country is doing, uh, is 32, 32 deaths per million inhabitants. If you compare that with uh, the US, the US I believe is around 920 deaths per million inhabitants. So that gives you an idea on how good or how bad we are doing. And 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 the, I mean, there might be a lot of, uh, you know, Uh, causes of this behavior in Venezuela, I believe that the most important one is the responsible way in which President Nicolás Maduro approached the pandemic since the very beginning, even before the report of the first cases, the the first case, I mean. Uh, So so he approached the country uh, letting us know the gravity of the circumstances Letting us know that the and, and we all knew that in Venezuela that our health system is very weak because of years of U.S. blockade and sanctions. Uh, letting us uh, asking us all to wear masks. Uh, and immediately after the first case was reported, uh, we uh, uh, I mean as a as a country as a government, he decided to close all the activities and only leave open the medical, pharmaceutical, uh, and food production activities. And we were like that until, from March until, I don't know, like September, October, when we started talking about reopening, and we initiated a, like a scheme that we called Reopening Scheme 7-7, which means that uh, for one week, the country was in quarantine like uh, the previous months but the the week the upcoming week was like opening of certain economic sectors, not all, and we have been doing that since september october and this month, President Maduro, because of christmas, decided to to open all economic activities, reopen the the air transport i mean the commercial flight in local and international uh the tourist sector. I mean, and I believe that it's not only because of Christmas, but because of the economy of the country is, you know, demanding uh, a measure like that. But it's always a problem because uh, when, when people see that level of relaxation, people start going crazy. Actually, President Maduro, like, 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 like a week ago, less than a week ago, like four days ago, he criticized on, on public TV that people were relaxing too much. And I believe that if the government noticed that the relaxation is like too crazy, we are going go ba- We're going to go back to quarantine. I'm sure of that because here in Venezuela, like in many progressive or socialist countries, we, we. Uh, I mean, money and the economy is not the factor. The capital is the factor that rules the decisions of the government. In the contrary, I believe that is the, the people, I mean, the humanity, uh, the the thing that is behind human rights, the life of Venezuelans, the thing that uh, the government cares about the most. So that's my opinion, a quick opinion on the, on the way we handle the pandemic. But besides that, we have been dealing with a blockade, and uh, and we have a, a lot of restrictions with gasoline that affects mobility a lot, and that might be a cause in the in the lower in the low, you know, uh, infection and death threat rate rate. Uh, but but in the in the other side, I mean, for, in the other hand, uh, we are surrounded by countries that have. Terrible uh, COVID nineteen catastrophe is like Colombia, Brazil, and a lot. Uh, most of the Latin American, South American, uh, not 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 only South American, Latin American countries has been heavily affected by. It. From Mexico to Argentina, uh, uh, the numbers of COVID are terrible. Right. I believe that n- not as worse as the US, but but they are very bad. Is anybody so, worse so, as the
0: US? I don't. It's really quite shocking uh, uh, living here. You know, it's
1: the wealthiest.
0: Yeah, there's a yes, few I know true.
1: I know. But the wealthiest it's country
0: happy. Yeah, yeah. I know there are a few countries I think that are worse than the United States. But look, the mm-hmm. wealthiest country in the history of the world I uh, gets shamed by, and you know, in my opinion, rightly so, Venezuela, a country that has much less resources, that supposedly is run by an evil, evil socialist uh, dictator, and is under siege by the most powerful countries in the world, That's in true. the history of the world, and has done way better, not much better, way better uh, on the pandemic. And, you know, I often remark that it really, you don't need to be a socialist or progressive country or have socialist or progressive leadership to have done better or well, or, you know, um, actually just kick the pandemic's ass because look at countries like Venez- uh, not, like New Zealand. I mean, that is a capitalist yeah. country You know, it's a small country. It's not a, you know, a super poor country per capita, but they just decided to do the right things. You know, Mm -hmm. they decided to lock down. They decided to contact trace um, and wear masks and provide economic relief for everybody. Like here in the United States, it's not really a question about whether we can shut down the economy or not. I mean, the the dollar is still the world's currency. The U.S. can print whatever money it wants. Uh, they They show it all the time. They print it for the military. They yeah, printed for U.S. It imperialism, down. you know. So I think uh, I just give a big shout out to the people of Venezuela, the government of Venezuela. Here's a country and a people that are showing us that what we could do under the most dire circumstances, you know. And there's nothing genetically different about the people in the U.S. It's just we have a the yeah. we also have the most rotten system in history of the world. That when crisis comes, does the most horrible things. And um, you know, I'll be honest the fact that Biden is being elected during the worst pandemic in over a hundred years is, is not a, is not a reason for optimism at all. You know, the ruling class there's licking its chops. And, um, yeah. on that note, uh, I'm curious to know what you think, cause I'm sure a lot of people here in the United States and maybe elsewhere are like, okay, what's going to happen, uh, with us foreign policy now, to the extent that people are paying attention to us foreign policy here. Um, yes. you know, I saw that Biden is, I see a little different, things in the press here like, you know, Biden wants to go back to the Obama approach, you know, which honestly he may have no other recourse because the Trump approach made things worse for U.S. imperialism, you know, like Bolivia was able to overcome things and Venezuela has been able to stand tall. The more aggressive mm-hmm. approach has not played well in Latin America. It has not helped yes, the United States. I see. So anyway, I see. what is your, as, as someone with uh, profound wisdom I don't mean to put you on the spot again about like predicting the future, um, but <laughs> uh, and, and, and don't even predict it if you don't want it. But what what are you looking What are you looking at? What are the people in Venezuela? What do you think the government's looking at? Visa V Biden becoming president because I think he will. Um, I don't think Trump is going to maintain the office, although I think there's still a lot of unfinished business here, as you may know. There's still armed yes. white supremacists in the street protesting the election. Yes, yes and that's mm-hmm. not going to go away in fact that's probably going to get worse
1: for us for us here in venezuela i mean at least for a progressive for chavismo i mean uh joe biden do not represent a change or a an uh, like a, an optimistic thing i mean we believe deeply chavismo or venezuelans Chavistas believe that, that there is no difference between uh, Democrats and Republicans, and in the case of Biden, it's worse because Biden is like the right wing of the Democratic Party, which is already a very not a centrist uh, or not left party, progressive or whatever. is is very conservative, so. So we don't see too much difference. Uh, and Venezuelan experience with Obama was not the best one either. Obama was, if you ask me, the one that built the framework for what Donald Trump has been doing with all these uh, uh, executive orders declaring Venezuela a, a, a threat to U.S. So, so that's the 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 root of what uh, Trump uh start doing when he took office. So everything was built with Obama and, and, and not to mention all the crazy things that he and Hillary Clinton did uh around Latin America from from coops to I mean everything. So we don't we are not optimistic with him. Uh but uh I have to tell you that left uh, not left people in Venezuela, like liberal people in Venezuela, what you might be seeing like the equivalent of uh, supporters of the Democratic Party in the US, those liberals here in Venezuela, uh, they think that, uh, and and you hear them a lot in, in, in in the news or in the TV outlet or radio outlets talking about that Maduro should take advantage of the new administration in the US and that he should try to to make agreements with Joe Biden to try to rearrange the relations and things like that, they talk a lot about that. Actually, a few days ago, Kapirel Radonski, which is one of the leaders of the right-wing opposition, that happens to be a little bit progressive or liberal, uh, uh, publicly on a Bloomberg in- uh, interview, he uh, especially talked about that issue about the. Uh, like requesting publicly Joe Biden to recheck uh, or reevaluate uh, evaluate all the recent Trump's approach towards Venezuela. If that happened, that will be great. But uh, if you ask me if that's going to happen, I really believe that, that that won't happen, especially after we Venezuelans saw the whole Congress in the U.S. applauding Democrats and Republicans in an standing ovation, the crazy and inept Juan Guaido when he visited the U.S. a few months ago. Yeah, so, it's an interesting so that give you a that uh, give you a sense of how yeah. bipartisan
0: is the aggression towards Venezuela. Well, let me. let made me think about a couple of things. You know, during the Obama administration, the Obama administration made a deal with Iran that lessened yeah. um Yes, that was positive. One of the course. most positive yeah. things. Yeah, and also uh, with Cuba, uh, the Cuban embassy was opened That's in true. Washington, D.C. I had some friends who were there um, mm-hmm. to witness, you know, I had some friends who were crying, you know, that have, you know, their whole life wanted there to be an easing of tensions between the United States and revolutionary Cuba, socialist Cuba. So there mm-hmm. were those things. Now, in my opinion, is the Obama administration did those things based on, on, for geostrategic geostr- purposes for U.S. imperialism. That and you know, Obama said this that you know the, the policies of the last 40 years, 50 years regarding Cuba, we're not we're going nowhere. They weren't leading to the overthrow of the regime. So the United States needed to change tactics in order to bring, and I say this with air quotes around it, democracy to Cuba. Yes. Or the, the deal with Iran was definitely one in which the administration was looking to reverse some of the lost prestige that the U.S. had in the Middle East. I mean, Iran became stronger after the failed debacle in Iraq, for example. And the situation in the Middle East was out of the control of the U.S. more than at any other time since the end of World War II. And that was because of the, that was a result of the, in my opinion, of the U.S. In, intervention that went so, that was such a brutal massacre, genocidal massacre, which, by the way, Biden has his hands all over it. He, he didn't just vote for it. He has his hands all over U.S. aggression against Iraq, as he does Latin America, to be quite honest, and the rest of the world. So there's this, there's this rub. You have the most powerful country in the world. So if they're going to be more friendly, even if it's for the next year or two years and give people more space, um, you can see why people would greet that, would, would say that this is a positive thing. And we can always say they're doing it because Cuba is strong. They're doing it because Iran is strong, not because imperialism wants to grant these concessions, but they've had to. So we could be like, um, you know, the US, even though Biden is is definitely a respite for the ruling class here, or, or a helpful sign for the ruling class here, it doesn't mean that they've gained the ascendancy in world affairs and not at all, right? And the, and yes, the Biden yeah, administration maybe. might be smart enough to understand that and try to recoup some of their prestige by, um, you know, changing Trump's policy. The other thing they might do is they might be, well, Trump already started this. We can't go back. So we're just going to try to keep it the way it is or go further. that's what I always tell people uh, uh, vis-a-vis immigration policy in the United States. You know, once things get into motion in terms of like the greater oppression against immigrants, do you think the next president is really going to be like, okay, well, let's stop that? I mean, they might say nicer things, but to actually pull the oppression back and give hope to to people here, that they can win their rights is not something they're going to do unless they're really uh, uh, puts in a gun. Okay, so there's a, there's, there's quite a bit there, but that, that's my response. That's that's my response anyway. What do you think?
1: Yes, I believe that you're true. I mean, I believe that, and as I said, I mean, uh, we are we Chavistas do not have too much expectations because we have been suffering with both administrations. I mean, with both parties. But if for some miracle, uh, Joe Biden decide with his foreign affairs team to reevaluate or and to change a bit the strangulation that they are making against the Venezuelan people, because it's on us. I mean, all the burden of those sanctions are on regular Venezuelan shoulders, not on the Chavista hierarchy or the ones in the government uh or the right-wing uh, leadership i mean uh, i mean uh, that regular venezuelans are the ones that are suffering all the aggressions every day and if that happens we will upload it as i said when i was talking about the case of radowski uh requesting or asking biden to reevaluated the the Trump approach. So I I agree with you in that sense. I mean, that will be great, but even if that happens, we know, like in the case, as you mentioned, of Cuba, that that is, or, or Iran, that that is happening just because they are just changing their tactics, but their strategy is going to remain the same to oust anything that do not play in favor of U.S.
0: interests. that's what it is and you could go the other way too i mean trump came in and reversed all that you know stuff you know um so you still at the end of the day you're still dealing with imperialism i mean i know it's kind of over it's oversimplification, but when you're dealing with real material politics if you can get to the the simplest but most most integral interpretation of how things work then you're on much uh steadier ground and an understanding of imperialism um which is you know greatly lacking here in the us of course nobody's fault necessarily not workers and oppressed people's fault here but uh it's uh it's something that uh i mean shoot if, if people just knew for example the amazing things venezuela has done in the last you know couple you know couple decades here or so or how they've done against the pandemic or how china has done for example yes. so on and so forth uh, it would lead to a possibly it would possibly lead to a much better outcome in politics here much better understanding but let's um uh, i don't want to keep you forever and i do want to i'm sure people have been at least are cognizant of what's happened in bolivia and the fact that uh the ousted party in a u.s backed coup has returned to power um and morales i believe he's back in bolivia right yes, i mean yes, all it's he, said,
1: he was he was here in venezuela a few days ago in the elections as an terror
0: okay oh wow yeah yes, really stunning yes. actually stunning that um inspiring yeah so I mean, when we talked last year before the coup happened, and the pressure was mounting on Morales after the election, you know, we didn't, neither one of us thought he was going to be ousted. Uh, and then he was ousted and we talked subsequently. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think, interesting, I do think our analysis was not that far off because we both yes. realized the strength of the movement there in Bolivia and that uh, and the relative weakness of the U.S. Uh, in in latin america at this point history so our, our basic orientation is just you can't you know history moves and this is a profound lesson for all of us is that history moves in its own you know there's seven billion eight billion people that live on this planet it's a big planet and there are lots of moving parts lots of lots of conscious parts and you know lots of different things can happen I mean, I guess, you know, you could also say based on that that there's no reason there couldn't be a revolution here in the United States, although the ascendancy of Biden and the capitulation of most progressive forces and leaders and groups here uh, to the Biden campaign uh, could give people a reason for pessimism. uh, But at the same time, uh, you know, we can look all around us here in the US and around the world to see that people are struggling, people are fighting, people are groping for a better vision of the world. And the mm-hmm. fact that um Mass they're still called Mass in Bolivia, right? Yeah, They yes, changed yes, the name? No, they didn't even change the name. Um oh,
1: mass it is yeah, yeah, they won. So there you go. Mm, yes, I, I I was inspired by by the, the re-election. I mean the election of Luis Arce from Mass, which was like re-electing Evo Morales at the end of the day because uh, Luis Arce is he, he was he was a person chosen by mass and Evo Morales to be the candidate, and and he was Evo Morales uh, economy minister, and uh, and his vice president david Chocuampa was uh, Evo Morales foreign affairs minister. So so it's like a victory for the left at the end of the, the day, and and that uh, changed the balance of powers within the region. Uh, that brings hope to a lot of progressive factors in the region. And I believe that around the world, uh, as I believe that, for example, even though uh, it's not the same level of elections, I mean, our parliamentary elections a few days ago are also uh, give a strength to the left, the progressive movement uh, uh, that sees that, that we are now are going to have control on the National Assembly, and at least the, the fake uh, interim government of Juan Guaidó, at least the legal framework between quotations that the U.S. claimed they had is not gonna be there. So uh, so the left is getting strength, if you ask me, in the region. We are gonna have in Chile in April, uh, 2001, uh, we're gonna have uh, elections for for the national assembly, the constituent assembly, that was approved a few months ago. Uh, uh, And the candidate that is heading the polls for the presidential election that is scheduled for November 2001 2001, is a communist guy. Uh, And some people are calling to move to, to, how do you say that? make the elections and uh, move the elections from November, the presidential ones from November to, to April to have all the elections in Chile the same month. So, so, I mean, that's interesting, what might happen in Chile in April, in Peru. Also, people are talking about constituent assembly. And whenever I hear about constituent assembly, as I was telling you in, uh, of the cameras, uh, uh, I think about Hugo Chavez and Chavismo, and they are talking about that, and they are going to have elections in April also, presidential elections. But a lot of people, yes, uh, a few weeks ago, when they had this strong uh, uh, protest and police repression, they were talking a lot about constituent assembly. So I believe that there's a a possible uh, swift to the left in the region again. And I hope that that happened because uh, the... I mean, while the left have more control over countries in the region since got better. So I hope that that will happen. And I hope that eventually at some point, maybe not in the near future, but eventually the U.S. will feel the pressure of reevaluating its politi- political framework. The gringos believe that because democracy, uh, the first democracy was uh, theirs, in the world, I mean, they believe that it's perfect. And the truth that everyone knows, even outside and inside the U.S. is that democracy in the U.S. is far from perfect. So people eventually- Yeah.
0: Or some would say it doesn't
1: exist. Exactly, exactly. And and at some point, people are going to start wondering, listen, maybe we should reevaluate this. Maybe we can give us ourselves our own constitution and not the one that a bunch of like a handful of people wrote like 300 years ago we can do something better, something more democratic approved by the people that represent the values. Of course that's complicated taking into consideration the the complexities of the of the. US politics and economy and everything but anyway, I believe that eventually that will happen sooner or later that will
0: happen. You know, that's interesting because the U.S. Constitution here for the ruling class, for the white supremacists, uh, really is uh, a sacred document because so much of it entrenches and allows them to hold on to their power. I mean, it was written yes, by yeah. predominantly slave, slave owners. It was written by close to 50 very rich and powerful men in secret. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was not a democratic process at all. And they were very serious about setting up a republic that protected the slave-owning class. I mean, they were explicit yes. about that. In the fact, they even, including Alexander Hamilton, uh, mm-hmm. who has such a that popular musical that was made yes. from his quote-unquote, Yeah, there's a fake life they put out there, by the way. Uh, but even he, he was very much for the Constitution and others were, the framers of the Constitution were, were James Madison, they were, For them, it was predominantly about protecting the slave owner's property and protecting slave uh, slavery. So it'd be a very interesting struggle. It's a very interesting struggle over the Constitution because here in the United States, it would would be related to, it would be completely wrapped up in a struggle over what type of society the U.S. is. Um, And so we'll see. And it's possible that type of struggle could happen, but uh, really a, a very... Uh, history-shaking and earth-shaking struggle would have to happen here in the United States for things uh, to become different than than they are, yeah. to really be in the interest of the people here and in the interest of the people around the world. But checking back to what we we're talking about, look, the Biden administration actually has a very difficult task in terms of carrying out oh, right, imperialism's then. objectives in the world. Um, they're very happy to have Trump gone because... Now they fig- figure they got Biden, he's appointed. Uh, they thought, they, people thought he was going to appoint Michelle Flournoy, the person who's probably going to be the Secretary of Defense under Clinton, who is a long, you know, she's a foreign she's a Kissingerite, basically, you know what I mean? Like a resentment like that's the type of person she is. That's the type of person they'd be installing. But instead he went with uh, mm-hmm. a former general, commander of the uh, US military in Iraq, um, I believe his name is Austin Lloyd, uh, he's African-American, um, mm-hmm. as Secretary of Defense. He's also on the board of Raytheon, right? Um, yes, contractors. But they're really, they're really going to have their hands full in terms of determining strategy. And I, I don't predict, I mean, we have, we'd have to really sort of look very close to what they're saying to try to figure out what they're planning. Um because I think it's very central to their planning, actually. I think the priority of the United States is not going to be COVID, it's going to be how do we, the new administration and the ruling class and the media, it's like, how do we um, right the the ship in terms of US hegemony in the world? And one of the things that the Democrats, when they're in office, are very effective at is using the hammer, not the carrot. Do you know what I mean? And so I don't put the threat of a war, a new war, off the table. I mean, ironically, we were less likely to have a war under Trump, right? Then no fan of Trump here, but then Biden. So, you know, we're we're entering into a very interesting period. Um, you know, oh, monsters when they're when they're when they're backed into a corner, well, they can also turn out to be cowardly, to be honest with you but they can also, at the same time, and it's no contradiction, and become more aggressive. Um, and the circumstances might actually just dictate to US imperialism, they have no choice but to be more aggressive. Certainly their stance towards China and Russia, their outlandish aggression against China right now when China is the key yes. to combating the pandemic. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, you know, they, they have a vaccine already going and they're ready to provided to the rest of the world over time here much more than the United States is so I don't know Jesus I mean, we you know I, I don't know I, I don't know what we're going to be seeing here in the future in terms of you know the Biden administration of Latin America but I wouldn't at all rule out greater aggression
1: yes yes we neither we neither and it's true what you say about the crazy anti-China campaign and the Recurrent anti-Russia Russophobia campaign and, and all those things. I believe that the U.S. is just trying to. I mean, I believe that Biden won't change that approach, from what I've read. I've been reading, uh, and uh, and that connects to what you were saying uh, about like the fight to have the uh, hegemony on the on the world. So the U.S. is going to try to do whatever they can to keep in control of a world that right now don't belong exclusively to them. It's a fact. That's not like something that is going to happen in the future. I mean, that's actually what is happening right now. I mean, China, Russia, especially China, uh, uh, is, you know, controlling a lot of areas in the world with their... Different political approach uh, in terms of international relations and their economic the economic needs that they have as a humongous economic monster, uh, and and they will keep doing that. and uh, And the bad thing is that you have a country like the U.S. with a lot of weapons and with a lot of crazy people in Washington that is capable to do whatever they can and to move uh, or the strings to make people in Washington do whatever is needed to for them to keep the control of the world. So it's everything interconnected, you know, because it's not only the military uh, or the geostrategic scene, it's also the economic powers that are behind uh, uh, each country and all the attacks on the, for example, the U.S. attacks on Huawei on 4G technology, on uh, on uh, on the different things that in which China is taking a, ad- uh, technological advantage. Uh, in comparison with the U.S., so so everything is interconnected, and, and everything that is happening shows that the U.S. is desperate because the in jail of this woman in Canada that was one of the CEOs of Huawei. I don't remember her name, but but but, but that's crazy. All the stupid things that are happening with the four G, five G. I mean, in Europe because of U.S. pressure. Pushing uh, European countries to abandon the best technology, which is the Chinese. Everything that is happening with the Nord Stream two uh, right, right. pipeline gas uh, line in Germany—I mean, you see a lot of, you know, conflicts that are uh, connected to the economy. But at the end of the day, are also part of the whole geostrategic, you know, chess. So. So I, I'm not optimistic, if you ask me. I okay. wish that the US have a better political leadership, uh, more independent from economic powers. But that's not the, that's not what it is. I mean, everyone knows that everyone that is in the White House most of the time only defend the interests
0: of the people of the corporations. Yeah. yeah. Look, Biden, in his campaign, tried to out Trump. Uh, our Trump, Trump on China. Yes, or
1: Venezuela,
0: or, 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 yeah, yeah. or a yeah. lot of yes. Yeah, yeah, no, no. So, I so in terms of, uh, I don't want to overblow this, but in terms of whether the election is going to change anything, of course it's going to change something because there's a new administration, and they'll have a new strategy, different strategy, different ways of carrying it out. They'll have different people carrying it out that have different talents and qualities right they might have Mm -hmm. some smarter people carrying it out for example but in terms of the overall relationship between the united states u.s imperialism and the rest of the world there are greater factors in play there are real historical factors and there are real things that have happened beforehand and there are real decisions that are going to be made but what we are really looking at uh, is a situation where it is the people of the world versus us imperialism. I know, again, I'm oversimplifying things and really actually i like to simplify things the most profound things in the, in the most digestible form. We really do need new political vision leadership. We need socialism in the United States. Um, really? uh, if, if we are going to avert uh, world war three, I know I'm being a little, you know, we're not near World War. Yes, not about you, but, but you're it's, Right? It's 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 in the cards if U.S. imperialism is not greatly weakened or defeated. Um, and with things happening in Latin America, and again, I don't want to overblow it too much. You know, like this means that there is hope in the struggle against imperialism, and there is always reason to hope. And actually, I don't think it's overblowing it. Just considering everything that's happened in the last few decades or so in Latin America, all the things that were inconceivable to people 20 years ago that happened, coups being overturned, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the continued, the continued survival of the, you know, people understandably so sort of wrote off the pink tide or the Latin America, you know, the, the, the socialist, or progressive or revolutionary wave in Latin America, but it it, it seems to be something that is here to stay. Yes, you I know? think
1: so also.
0: And, and right now
1: with the whole catastrophe, let me add that, I mean, the whole COVID-19 catastrophe in the U.S., I mean, the pride of the U.S. has been heavily affected. So that put mm. an additional ingredient to what you're saying, you know what I mean? The US uh, is more desperate to show
0: that uh, it is the leader. Yeah, yeah. I also think that it's it's weakened the population subservience to the elites here too. Yes, that's Um, absolutely right. Even if it's not totally a conscious thing, I don't think it's widely conscious, but I think there is Mm -hmm. a lot of feeling of like these people are. This thing is not working for us. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think people are very happy. That I think most people are very happy that Biden was elected because they don't want what's happening now, and there's a hope that something else will happen. But I also believe that's very, very uh, um, thin. It's just like it's yes. it's not like it's not this huge over overarching tangible thing that's going to that's going to keep the population from resurging in its demands for for justice and an end to war and, and and most of that
1: happiness is because they get rid of trump if he finally concedes <laughs> by the way but but at least uh, you know uh, most of the happiness is not because what biden is going to be capable of doing but because they finally get the crazy guy out of the white house yeah
0: Yeah. That's... Yeah. I think... I mean... I think the happiness is real, and I think it is kind of focused on Biden and Kamala Harris. I mean, I I think it's not... It's not a fixed thing, but it definitely shows where people are still at here in the United States politically. And I think the starting point has to be always one of... of, of... of honesty. To the extent that people take the elections all that seriously, I mean... You know, people take the Chicago Bears more seriously than they do the political parties. <laughs> no, no, they, they do, you know, and that's that's understandable. I mean, look at the parties we have. They're, they're most... They're, I mean, both parties are a joke right now. You have Biden and Trump as the leaders, you know, that's... You know what I mean? Uh, it's Well, yeah, it's sad, but it's just... It's also where the United States is at and why it's so... Um, it's it's hegemony of the world is completely illegitimate. I mean, I don't think Absolutely. it gets any more complicated than that. All right, hey Zeus. Uh we are out of time. I could I know talk with you forever. Um yes. you're always yes, uh amongst my longer interviewing guests because you know we just <laughs> we have a history of having these types of conversations just whenever we talk. Um yes. I hope I hope the people listening to the podcast, I hope. Uh, the legion, you know, the hundreds of people who listen to this podcast, uh, get no, that, that sense. Get that sense of what a what a what a great, what a incredible human being you are. Thank and you. You and I, you yeah, too. and I want them. I want them to support your work. So, can you tell people how to do that?
1: Yes. Go to www.orinocotribune.com. You just Google Orinoco Tribune and you will have the first hit will be our, I mean, the first link will be ours. And if you can just spread the word that we are there, if you like what we are doing, uh, we are basically providing information in English about Venezuela on a daily basis, like a news outlet. And that was not there before Mm -hmm. we started doing this work two years ago. I mean, there were other websites, but they were less... I mean, less frequent in trying to provide information about Venezuela. We have been doing that on a daily basis, and I believe that that gives people, especially English-speaking people around the world, more uh, elements to analyze Venezuelan reality. So if you like what we do, of course, you always can go and make a donation, which will help us because we don't do... Right now, we don't do uh, advertisement. We don't receive money from the government or for corporations, whatever. So so, so we will always appreciate that.
0: And thank you again uh, yeah. for your uh, help and support. Yeah, always. And uh, thank you. And hopefully we'll talk again soon. Thanks for joining us on Mass Action Podcast. And again, just a shout out to the people, yourself and the people of Venezuela keeping the hope keeping the hope alive the real hope not the Biden hope. the real hope we will we will we will uh, venceremos (laughs) venceremos all right brother thank you bye bye my friend take care For this episode, please become a patron or donate to our GoFundMe. You can find more information about that at mass-action.org. You can also just go to GoFundMe, search Mass Action, donate there. Uh, You can go to Patreon and search Mass Action, Mass Action Podcast. You can become a patron there. Really, really, uh, please, I beseech you for your support Uh, independent analysis and propaganda like this can only happen if it's supported by individuals like you. So please, again, support. Until next time, keep your fists up, your heads up, stay out in the streets to the extent we can. Let's unite and fight back. No matter who occupies the White House in Washington, D.C., the White House with, with just soaked, soaking blood, uh, nothing can stop a united uh, working class, a united working class, front of a united working class and oppressed people. Bye until next time.